You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hello, I'm Annie from the U.S., And I'm Johanna from Austria. Thanks for joining us for another episode of your favorite international podcast. Welcome. If you are a first-time listener, and welcome back to all of our lovely Hellions. You are honestly just the most supportive community we could ever wish Mm -hmm. for. And as always, we wanted to send a special shout-out to our newest patrons, and they are Kezia Giddings. Thank you so much. I hope it's Kezia. That is a cool name and also my sister the moose thanks moose uh true story about the moose she can't listen to the podcast because as soon as she hears my voice and now your voice it triggers a pavlovian relax response in her and she immediately falls asleep uh she really liked watching that makeup video though so she's decided to support us financially (laughs) (laughs) just for for the makeup videos the moose who does not wear makeup so thank you moose. (laughs) i think it's just because she wants to laugh at us She does. She did. My dad liked that video, which made me laugh. And of course, also thank you to all of you who take the time out of your days to write us a review, you know, to share our content or tell your friends about us. We truly appreciate all of you. We really do so much. Today, we are going to be talking about the afterlives of the Six Wives. The Six Wives of Henry VIII, of course. So this is going to be a little bit more of a spooky and macabre episode. We're going to be discussing anything of note that happened after they died. So funerals, burials, reburials, and ghosts. We're going to discuss that all today. And if you haven't already listened to our two-part episode on the Six Wives, please go back and do that first because we're not going to, you know, re- cover all of who they were and their roles in English history. They were all really interesting women in their own right, and we talked about their lives admittedly briefly, because as we said in our two-part episode, there are so many great podcasts and books and documentaries if you want more information. Yeah, there's so much information out there. We are not historians. We just we just like to dabble, like witchcraft and voodoo, sorcery, mixology, I don't know herbal healing. That's our jam. We have a lot of sources for this episode. I think when we did the lives of the six wives, we were focused more on books by Weir and Ives, Erickson, and other historians. This time, among others, please check out There's a bunch of websites and podcasts, and I think a lot of the websites are actually linked to podcasts. So check out On the Tudor Trail, The Anne Boleyn Files. There's the Tudor's Dynasty podcast, Stories of the Tudor's podcast, Talking Tudor's podcast, the Historic Royal Palaces podcast, which is cool. Also the Queens of England podcast. There's just so much information out there. And of course, original source material, which we'll be quoting in today's episode. So yeah. Today, we're only talking about the afterlives of the six wives. We're going to do it in chronological order. And so, again, we're going to start with Catherine of Aragon, wife number one. Originally, the Spanish princess, uh, the only one of Henry's wives to be a queen in her own right, was first betrothed and married to Henry's older brother, Arthur. And after they were married, the very young couple was sent to Ludlow Castle, where, sadly, they both caught the sweating sickness, and while Catherine recovered, Arthur died and was entombed at Worcester Cathedral. Uh, she would later marry the spare, Henry, and it was said to be a love match. Henry was her greatest joy, and the inability to conceive a son and heir was her greatest tragedy in life, and led to Henry divorcing her in favor of Anne Boleyn, who he believed may give him a son. When Henry cast her aside, she was sent from one home to another, at the king's whim finally ending up at Kimbolton Castle, and most cruelly separated from their only surviving child, Mary, who Catherine adored. Catherine spent the end of her life at Kimbolton, dying of cancer, all alone. And when she died, Mary was not allowed to even attend her mother's funeral. Speaking of the funeral, Catherine had instructed in her will that she wished to be buried in a chapel of a particular order of friars, but of course, Henry's destruction of the monasteries meant all of her final wishes were denied, and her body was carried in a funeral procession to what was then the abbey in Peterborough for burial. Today the abbey is a cathedral, but at the time of her death, Catherine was buried as the Dowager Princess of Wales, that is to say, as the widow of the late Arthur, because of course, for Henry, it was as though the marriage of over 20 years had never happened. This is a quote directly from the Peterborough Cathedral website. 
Quote, Her funeral took place on 29th of January 1536. The heart of the funeral cortege included a coffin wagon covered with black velvet, as were the six horses pulling it, heralds and 50 servants in black carrying torches, four banners in crimson taffeta and four golden standards. At the door of the abbey church the body was received by four bishops and six abbots and placed under a canopy lit by a thousand candles. It sounds kind of nice though, right? I mean... Uh, so nice. Yeah. The Reverend W.D. Sweeting, in his 1898 History of the Cathedral, said of Catherine's grave, quote, The only monument strictly so-called of which there is any record was a low-table monument raised on two shallow steps with simple quatrefoils carved in squares set diamond-wise, end quote. You know, it's a quote in a quote. Yes. The tomb was vandalized by Oliver Cromwell's troops in April 1643. The current memorial slab was installed in 1895 after a national campaign for the Catherines of England to all donate a penny to the cause organized by the wife of one of the cathedral canons, Catherine Clayton. That's very cute. It is. I've also read that Queen Victoria was responsible for fixing it up. I'm not sure really which is the right story, but... Doesn't really matter. At least it got fixed up. Today, Catherine is remembered annually with a commemorative service and series of events at the cathedral and elsewhere in the city around the anniversary of her burial, 29th of January. Many visitors place pomegranates, her heraldic symbol, on her tomb. End quote. I love the symbol of pomegranates. I always have to think of Catherine whenever I see it used as an ornament. Uh, I follow this amazing artist, uh, Hysteria Machine. She does beautiful handcrafted headpieces and crowns, and sometimes they are ornated with pomegranates. Looks amazing. Yeah, it was always very sad to me that she chose a fertility symbol mm. before she married Henry. It was like her, the pomegranate, and then lost so many children. Yeah, it's a really beautiful cathedral, but it's upsetting that she was denied even her last wishes, you know. And it seems that perhaps she expressed her displeasure from the other side. We just did an episode on coincidences, and here's another one for you. On the day of Catherine of Aragon's funeral, the king's new wife, her former lady-in-waiting, Anne Boleyn, miscarried a son. Had that child survived, Anne might have gone on to keep her own head. And so the question many ask is, did Catherine's ghost take vengeance on her husband's mistress? And while I sort of love the idea of a spite haunting, and as justified as Catherine may have been in that, I think it was just a coincidence. Or maybe suppressed guilt that could have caused Anne to lose the baby she was carrying. Mm. I don't think Catherine would have ever done anything to... An innocent child. Mm -mm, no. But back to Catherine and her alleged hauntings. So the first place that's said to be haunted by Catherine is Ludlow Castle, which is where Catherine had first spent time with Arthur after their wedding. And she was a young woman who had already been through so much to then lose her husband in a foreign land, not knowing who to trust. Both of the ghost stories that are related to Catherine sound to me more like residual hauntings, which is more like a tape recording of an event that happened hundreds of years ago. The first is Ludlow Castle, which I just mentioned, where many visitors and staff have reported seeing the ghost of a young woman wearing Tudor clothing who wanders around throughout the house, often seen in an area that would have, they believe, would have been the future nursery of the children of Arthur and Catherine. And this one... I'm not so sure. It could be Catherine, but it could be any number of other people. Young woman in Tudor dress doesn't mm. really narrow it down over yeah. how long this place has been there. Do you know what I mean? I always wonder that when they say it's the ghost of so-and-so. I mean, if there's a place and that's really just has this one tragic story, yeah, you can narrow it down. But like castles that are hundreds of years old, I always wonder how they know who it is. You know what I mean? From, yeah, exactly. I mean, paintings aren't like really... You know what I mean. You said first place, right? So I take it there are several yeah. places she's said to haunt. I have to admit something. I sometimes wonder that can ghosts haunt more than one place at a time? Is it like those paintings in Harry Potter, you know, where the, the person in the painting can travel around and that's why sometimes you only see an empty frame? And then <laughs> in this case, a ghostless castle because the ghost is somewhere else. Does it sound stupid? I don't know, no. but I, that's no, no, how my that's, brain works at the moment. That is a fair question, and I'm going to answer it for you because I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, yes. I think they can definitely haunt more than one place, and it can happen whether it's residual or intelligent. If it's residual, then it's just a moment caught in time played over and over again, right? Yes. You could definitely have the residual haunting of the same person in different locations that made an imprint while they were alive. And then alternately, if it's an intelligent haunting, which is... What I like to imagine some of the ones I have here are because they sort of interact with you. And I think they kind of come and go where they want when they want. I'm hoping to come back as an intelligent haunting. I don't want to come back as a haunting at all. Well, you go when you want. Like you're you're on the you're in the other whatever it is on the other side, that's where you are. But like if you just want to pop in to like scare someone who annoyed you while you were alive or <laughs> visit your loved ones and just pop yeah. in and make sure everyone's doing all right. Like, I like that idea. Then you go back. I don't know. So there's a second story. And this is the one that I do think is more compelling. You tell me. I think this one even might make your slightly more skeptical brain wonder. So Catherine is the ghost who is most often seen at Kimbolton Castle. And this is why it's interesting. Because Kimbolton was already an old castle when Catherine died there. And so over the years, it's had extensive renovations to the point where the floors are not any longer where the original floors were. Do you know what I mean? It's it's almost a completely different building. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And those who report seeing the ghost of Catherine, okay, so she's either seen just the top half of her body from like the waist up gliding across the floor at like your waist height, or they'll see the bottom half of a gown from the ceiling moving across. So that to me is very interesting Mm. and really does sound like a residual haunting. Probably just caused by all the grief and pain that comes when your husband of 24 years leaves you for a younger woman who can maybe give him a male child, you know? I think the haunting at Kim Bolton is really interesting based on just how she's seen and where the floors are. It's very interesting. That's why ghosts sometimes seem to walk through walls, you know, because there was probably a door at one point, I think. Yes. Also, I have to think of this movie with Peter O'Toole that I don't remember the name now, where he owns this, where he's the heir of this Scottish castle and he wants to attract American tourists. Do you know what I'm talking about? And he fakes hauntings, but there is really a haunting with... Yes. Yeah, okay. It's the fucking name of this movie. I don't know. We need to, you look it up on IMDb, because we have that in our house. There's, well, not the fake haunting, but there's one spot in our kitchen where when you're sitting in the den where the fireplace and TV are, out of the corner of your eye, you can see someone walk through the wall into where the current bathroom, where the current bathroom is, but not through the door. It's like slightly to the left of where the door is. They just walk through the wall. It it goes through the wall, whatever it is. And my mom saw it when she was here a few times. My sister's seen it. But this house predates modern plumbing, so I'm not sure what that space was before it became a bathroom. But yeah, ghosts can move around. High spirits. High spirits high is the name spirits. of the movie. For sure there was somebody now listening and they're like, high spirits, high spirits. And yes. <laughs> yes. I'm adding that to the list of movies we need to do a rewatch of. It's been a long time. High spirits. That's a good one. But yeah, ghosts, the ghosts who really get around would be the next ghost, which is Anne Boleyn. So after she was beheaded at the tower for a long list of mostly made up charges, including incest. Her head came off her body with one swift stroke from the professional swordsman of Calais. Her now former husband, the king, provided for her as an act of incredible kindness. Such kindness. I mean, yeah, she did not have to kneel down in front of the block, resting her head on it, you know, blindfolded. It was all... there was dignity there. She definitely died with dignity, especially under the circumstances. So after her head was removed from her body with that sharp sword, there was no funeral. She was a traitor, and traitors do not get the normal rites of burial and mourning. Her ladies, who were described as mostly dead from shock, were said to have placed her body and her head into a chest previously used to hold arrows. And I wonder if this was intentional, for so often the theme of, you know, Anne's and Henry's relationship was that of a hunt. And it's Mm -hmm. a sport that Anne and the king, she previously called husband, enjoyed together. The chest was then entombed in the nearby chapel of St. Peter and Vincula without ceremony, but we don't know exactly where in the church she is, if she's even there at all. The following quote is from the chapel's website. Quote, 
The current chapel's interior has been considerably altered since its construction. As the Tower of London's role as a royal residence diminished in the later 16th century, so the chapel's changing configuration increasingly reflected its role as the tower's parish church. This included a new pulpit and wainscoting in the late 17th century and the installation of a gallery in the north and west walls in the 18th century. Generations of tower residents were baptized, married and buried in the chapel. They were joined, as it were, by the many people who were executed in the 16th century and buried here, including Sir Thomas Moore, John Fisher and Thomas Cromwell, as well as Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard. Despite frequent use, the chapel was not well maintained and in 1865 the chaplain wrote to the Office of Works complaining about its poor state, observing that the walls were crumbling with damp, amongst other problems. In response, plans were prepared by the architect Anthony Selvin in 1867. Work did not take place, however, until 1876. This extensive program of repairs saw many of the 17th and 18th century additions removed, including the gallery. The chapel's floor was also replaced as it had begun to collapse owing to the large number of burials which had taken place in the chapel since the 16th century. Can I just say, sorry, not to interrupt this quote, which I find fascinating, but if that floor had collapsed, I guarantee it would have been me visiting and... And like, oh, look how, boom, you're just surrounded by skeletons. <laughs> like, oh, son of a bitch. I would have paid extra for that tour, but <laughs> here we are, the broken leg, sitting at someone else's casket again. The quote continues. Many of the remains which were found were moved to the chapel's newly created crypt. It was also during these works that the chancel was excavated and the bodies of Anne Boleyn and Lady Jane Grey, amongst others, were identified. To note these discoveries, Selwyn installed the marble floor which still survives in the chancel and indicates their final resting places. End quote. It really is a lovely little church, but is Anne actually resting in that pretty little chapel on the grounds? Well, that's the question I'll let you answer, but we do know that when the bones were unearthed, Queen Victoria was adamant that they be treated with utmost respect, which I think everybody deserves. Absolutely. Yeah, and the attending physician tried to identify the remains found, and there was a lot of speculation about those findings. Was it Anne or Catherine Howard's bones they found? They weren't sure at all. They essentially made determinations based on Anne saying she had a small neck and long fingers, and the skeleton they thought might be hers also seemed to have long fingers and small <laughs> neck bones. Uh, some historians think that Anne Bodice was confused with Catherine Howard or another female who was executed. Anne's sister-in-law, George's wife, who was also executed. But unless there's another renovation and DNA is even helpful anymore, I don't know. Yeah, we may never know. We may never yeah. find out, yeah. She does have a memorial tile, which she may or may not be buried near. She might also be mixed up with Catherine Howard. We, Nobody knows. Nobody knows for sure. Yeah, we're not sure. I'm, I'm sure she would... Love that. <laughs> Pink, can so you imagine? Much. Like, <sighs> Catherine Howard and Anne Boleyn, arguably mm. two of the most feisty of the six, buried next to each other for all eternity. Mm. Maybe even mixing up body parts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's just hard to imagine. I mean, no disrespect to the medical. Obviously, everybody does what they can, and that they did take the utmost care. But I'm sincerely unsure how much they could have at that time gained from just looking yeah. at skeletons. It's like, well, yeah. let's see. This one's neck looks a little slimmer than this one, so that must be <laughs> Anne. Because I heard <laughs> once she had a very slim neck. Do we even think it's possible she may not be there at all and not in a zombie or undead kind of way but yes no. <laughs> yes yeah there are several legends about what happened to Anne's remains and where her final resting place really is so one of the most popular is that at midnight on the night of her execution she was disinterred from the chapel and brought to Sal Church, which is in Norfolk, which is a church that the Boleyn family helped to build. So it's sort of like the Boleyn family church. It's where her father and lots of other family members were laid to rest. Legend says that she's secretly buried here under like a dark marble column, but it's doubtful. There are a few stories like this that she's been moved to this church or to that church. But again, 
we just have no way of knowing. People often do seem upset. Like when you read about it, I did notice a lot of people saying, you know, oh, I, I hope it's true. I hope she wasn't actually buried so near to where she was executed. But she also had a lot of happy things in her life happen at the tower. Remember, that was a royal residence and where people would yeah. spend time before their coronations. You know, it wasn't just, today we think about it just as a punishment sort yeah. of palace, but yeah. really it was a royal palace. And also, when you go there, everybody wants to see where Anne Boleyn was executed. Almost nobody knows the names of the others. Yeah. Even Catherine Howard is not as, you know... And they know her. They pay their respects. There's almost always flowers left near the green where so many people were beheaded and in the chapel. She would definitely like that. Right? They know she died with grace and bravery, and I think she would be fine with it. Mm. But now let's get on to other things that we also have no way of verifying. Oh, just only because they're a little less sad and more spooky. So, leaving the legend of where Anne's bones may or may not be resting, because we think that she's probably okay with whatever's happened. Everyone did their best. Most historians, I think, do believe she is, in fact, in the chapel at the tower. But now let's talk about her ghost, which appears in a lot of places and is at times very, very spooky. So, if all of the stories are to be believed... The ghost of Anne Boleyn has got to be exhausted. She is everywhere. <laughs> and I'm not even going to cover all of them. I'm just going to cover some of my favorites because there are a lot. But this one is, this one's pretty great. And this is the legend of Blickley Hall. Now, Blickley Hall is where they believe Anne was born, and it has since been rebuilt completely, but it was once a very fine medieval manor owned by the Boleyns. Some say every year on May 19th, which is the anniversary of her execution, a ghostly carriage pulled by four ghostly horses arrives at Blickling. And when the carriage comes to a complete stop, the door opens, creaks open, and out steps Anne Boleyn. The only problem is she's carrying her own head, which is dripping blood down her gown, and soaking into the ground below. I mean, she did like to make an entrance in real life, so... Right? So <laughs> good. It's such a good legend. Ugh. And there are varying stories. There's a driver who has no head. They talk of her poor brother George's ghost being dragged to the house by horses. Of course, his execution. I mean, he's such a poor Ugh. guy, really. I mean, what did he ever do wrong? Made the king angry? <laughs> Yeah, lots of headless specters. I just have to admit that while I'm keeping a very open mind, you all know that I'm a believer. I have to say, I really do think this is either an over-imaginative local story, sort of a cautionary tale, or like we were just talking about high spirits, maybe, maybe created for more interest mm. in visiting the existing building. I'm just not sure, but I'm not sure also that this sounds like something Anne would have been into. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, I mean, can ghosts choose how they appear? What if she's being punished? Or what if she's just super extra angry, Maybe. which understandably so, and wants to be extra scary? I don't know. Yeah. But why blickling? <laughs> it's a weird, like, if you're looking to scare people who wronged you, I'm not sure that would be your destination, right? I think you're right. I think it sounds like something locals would tell each other and... You know, maybe there was a little tiny speck of truth and everything yeah. got blown out of proportion. It's very dramatic. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate it, but I don't think so. No, right. I it don't seems like so. the sort of thing mothers would say, right? Like, don't go becoming someone's... Well, she... Well, I guess she was a mistress. It's a tricky one because you want to say don't be go becoming someone's mistress because then you'll end up beheaded and every year... See what happens? Yeah, there but she also is again. you, after hundreds and hundreds of years, people still adore you. I know. While others hate Everyone you. Everyone loves her. Yeah. <laughs> we love to hate her. She's she's the best, Anne. Oh. <laughs> but, I mean, she's not really known for her connection to that specific castle. No. Wouldn't she arrive in a carriage carrying her head at Hever Castle because that was her childhood home? Or at yes. the tower yes. where she was beheaded. I mean, that would make exactly. more sense. 
Yes, or Windsor. Like, literally anywhere but Blickling would make more sense. That's why I'm just not sure. Everybody from Blickling is going to write me hate mail. It's a beautiful place worth visiting. I just don't think you're going to see the ghost of Anne Boleyn there. But yes, you're right about Heaver. And that brings us to this story, which is by Richard Jones from his book, Haunted Castles of Britain and Ireland. We are going to link to the website where he writes, quote, Anne Boleyn haunts Heaver Castle, Christmas Eve being her chosen day. Her somber specter is seen drifting silently over the picturesque bridge that spans the River Eden in the grounds of the home where she knew much happiness and from which she embarked upon a journey that would change the course of English history. End quote. This one I find a little bit more believable. Yeah, I also find the residual haunting in a place where she really did spend time more believable. Do you also... I don't know, when I think of residual hauntings, automatically I always think of bad things that happen because this energy would leave a, an imprint, you know, like... Yes. But it's also happy times, right? That's right, yeah. I could see this being a very peaceful time in her life. She didn't really get much peace, probably, when she was sent to the French court. It was all sort of yeah managed chaos from that point until her death, really, wasn't it? I can't yeah. imagine the amount of stress she must have been under, honestly. So I could see wanting to go back to a time when you just... I think we all have that longing. You know how we all have that moment where we... Mm. It's sort of that that dividing line where we, oh, we're not kids anymore, yeah. you know? And just to be able to go back to that period in time where you just didn't have any of those worries at all would be very appealing. I can see that. And she's also seen under an oak tree where Henry was said to spend a lot of time wooing her. But it does seem that she's everywhere in death. And of course, she has been seen at the Tower of London. To quote an article by Nancy Smith for the Anne Boleyn Files website, quote, In 1917, a sentry patrolling the White Tower suffered a fatal heart attack after encountering a ghostly Anne Boleyn on a staircase. In 1864, a sentry standing guard outside of the Queen's house reported that seeing the white figure of a woman veiled in mist. I wish I could veil myself in mist. I feel like it would be very flattering. There's probably it's also good for a- the skin. It's a lot of humidity. Yeah, there's a filter for that. Yeah. (laughs) She was wearing a Tudor dress and French hood. However, where her face should have been, there was nothing. He challenged the figure, and when it did not reply and continued towards him, the sentry made a thrust at it with his bayonet. What happened next caused him to swoon. His bayonet passed through the figure, and a fiery flash ran up his rifle and gave him a shock. The sentry was court-martialed for falling asleep during his watch. He was found not guilty when several eyewitnesses told the court they had also seen the headless woman on Tower Green that night. One officer, who saw the event from a window in the Bloody Tower, testified he heard the sentry yelling at the figure to stop and then saw him thrusting his bayonet through it. He saw the figure pass through the bayonet and then through the sentry as well. By far the most spectacular haunting by Anne in the tower takes place in the Chapel Royal of St. Peter ad Vincula, where she is buried. In the late 19th century, a captain of the guard noticed a light burning in the locked chapel late at night. Upon finding a ladder and placing it against one of the chapel windows, he was shocked at the scene taking place in the otherwise empty chapel. It can be best described by an excerpt from Ghostly Visitors by Spectre Stricken, London, 1882. So this is a quote within a quote. Slowly down the aisle moved a stately procession of knights and ladies attired in ancient costumes, and in front walked an elegant female whose face was averted from him, but whose figure greatly resembled the one he had seen in reputed portraits of Anne Boleyn. After having repeatedly paced the chapel, the entire procession, together with the light, disappears. End quote. So, that would be interesting to see, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like I'd say so. It sounds like she's giving herself the funeral. She was denied in mm. death, almost, if that's what he did see. And of course, she's also said to haunt Windsor Castle, as are her late husband, Henry. Well, her former husband, the king, Henry, who is often heard dragging that bad leg around, and their daughter, Queen Elizabeth I, which I feel like we'd pay good money for a guarantee of that ghostly family <laughs> reunion. I still cannot get over how many people died in the quest for a male child. I think a lot of people would pay good money for that. I mean, right? 
Okay, up next, Jane Seymour. She was the next wife to die. Henry married her pretty immediately after Anne's execution, and Jane was the wife who gave him a son and then died from the complications of childbirth before she could annoy him to death, literally. Yeah, her death, not his. It's yeah. never his, it's always hers, just in case there was any confusion. She sadly died a month after the birth of their son, and unlike Catherine and Anne, she never had a lavish coronation, but she was the first to have a queen's funeral. She was carefully embalmed, her internal organs being buried at the Chapel Royal at Hampton Court, and dressed in a cloth of gold and jewels befitting her status with a crown on her head before being sealed into a lead coffin, and placed in a chamber at Hampton Court Palace, where she would lie in state for two weeks. And then, on October 31st, it was the Feast of All Saints, not Halloween then, the heavily incensed hearse carried her body to the chapel at Hampton Court, where she would rest for almost another two weeks. Her body watched over and prayed for 24 hours a day. During the day, her ladies prayed for her soul, and at night, the priests took over. On November 12th, her body was transported to Windsor Castle. Back then, a chief mourner was assigned, and it was Mary, Henry's daughter and only surviving child with Catherine of Aragon, who had been denied a queen's burial, Catherine that is, and Mary was given the role of chief mourner. And she took it seriously, and she paid for prayers to be said for the late queen and managed her household until she had fulfilled the obligations of the estate. The king, as was custom, would not attend the funeral. You feel... Mary's childhood, oof, yeah. I think Mary's childhood explains a lot of things that happened later on. Oh, yeah, Elizabeth's too. Yeah. Yeah, both of them. So Mary is all decked out in black and at the head of the procession on horseback. Then next to her is Jane's coffin on a wheeled cart, pulled by six horses, flanked by noble men with banners. Behind the coffin was a procession of 29 ladies, one for each year she had lived. Arms for the poor were distributed to those who came to pay their respect to the funeral cortege, and she was laid to rest at Windsor, the first proper funeral for a queen since Henry's mother had died. After Jane's early death from childbirth, Henry wore black the next three months and made arrangements for his own burial beside her one day, even when negotiations for the next marriage had already begun. To quote Alison Weir's book on the six wives, quote, When Henry VIII died, he left instructions that he was to be buried with Jane. His will gave detailed directions for the erection of a joint tomb surmounted by effigies of them both, carved, quote, as if sweetly sleeping, end quote. But it was never built, and today the vault is marked only by a breastplate in the choir pavement. For a time, there was a Latin inscription to Jane's memory on the breastplate marking the grave, which roughly translated reads as follows, quote, Here lieth a phoenix by whose death another phoenix life gave breath. It is to be lamented much the world at once, ne'er knew to such, end quote. So, here lieth a phoenix. So... I'm trying to actually piece together what that means. Here lieth a phoenix by whose death another phoenix life gave breath. So they're talking about the future son and king. Her and her son, yeah. Her son was the other phoenix, yeah. And isn't it very sad that these two never got to know each other, which is, yes, absolutely devastating. It's really interesting, too. I know you have more of a quote, but it's so fascinating to me that if you go through all the kings and queens of England, he is probably the most well-known, arguably, yes, Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. And yet he he has one of the most simple tombs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, The quote continues, In 1813, the tomb of Henry and Jane was opened by order of the Prince Regent. Inside were found two coffins, one very large, of antique form, and another very small as well as the coffin of Charles I and that of one of Queen Anne's infants, Henry's coffin was opened, revealing a skeleton at six foot two in length, with red hair still adhering to the skull. The coffin containing the remains of Jane Seymour was left undisturbed. End quote. But what about the ghost of Jane? Well, she actually seems to be as serene in death as she was in life. Although many at Hampton Court Palace have reportedly seen her ghost, and she generally appears as she was in life, glowing softly and carrying a candle. She usually walks through the courtyard and is most often seen in the area where her baby's nursery would have been, wearing white, and she's most often seen on the anniversary of his birth. Again, this seems to me like a residual haunting, but... Some say that she's being punished for betraying Anne and will never find peace. It's hard because, almost without exception, which would of course be Anne of Cleves, he just 
marries the lady of waiting of the next wife, right? How could it be a residual haunting if that never happened? I mean, she did, did never walk with a candle to her son's nursery because she was lying in bed dying. Well, she didn't get sick right away. She was actually mobile for a little bit afterward, and okay. then she got sick. Yeah, who knows? You read so many different things. I always picture her lying there, slowly dying. Yeah, I imagine that too. But I think maybe in the initial first days, she might maybe was okay. But I don't know. I don't feel like... I don't know. A lot of people say that Jane was like sweet and innocent and all of this. But you could also argue that she was very smart and very cunning in her own way. Yeah. I don't know. I hope she's not. I hope nobody haunting these places is haunting because they're being punished. Like, it's been enough time. Yeah. So two years after Jane's death, he would marry Anne of Cleves. Their marriage ended without bloodshed, and she became a sister to the king, outliving him and leading a happy life, especially for a woman at the time. The following is from the Westminster Abbey website. Quote, she died at Chelsea on 17th of July, 1557. Mary I ordered her burial in the Abbey and the magnificent funeral was conducted according to Catholic rites as Anne had wanted. She lies on the south side of the high altar and her monument is a low stone structure of three sections with carvings showing her initials AC with a crown, lion's heads and skulls and crossed bones which is uh, symbols of mortality. It was probably made by Theodore of Cleves, but was never finished. The back part of the tomb had been mostly obscured by later monuments. The inscription on the back, visible from the south transept, reads, quote, Anne of Cleves, Queen of England, born 1515, died 1557, end quote. But this was not added until the 1970s. End quote. Yeah, Anne is... We have some pictures of all of this, obviously, that we'll be sharing in our Facebook group, but Anne is... Also, perhaps the only one of the six wives who doesn't really have an established haunting. Is this because she had a really good life for the time mm. and moved on in peace? Or is it because from a folklore stance, if we believe all the ghost stories are just that stories, maybe no one bothered because Anne's story was not boring remotely, but boring comparatively, right? She, she played the hand she was dealt very well. I find her to be one of the most interesting of his wives. I agree, completely. I just mean in terms of the drama. Yeah. There's not that same... Yeah, but I mean being called ugly and I like her not. And <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's very traumatic. You come from a country knowing nobody, not knowing the language, not knowing anything. That's true. And your husband, who agreed on marrying you because your portrait looked so lovely, completely freaks out when he sees you in person. <laughs> yeah been there <laughs> no I mean I think it's yeah she she really was amazing I agree that she is she, all of these women are, are very much worth getting to know more about they're known because they were the six wives of Henry VIII but they I think we agree they were all really interesting complex people in their own right without having anything to do with Henry you know the things they yeah survived and saw and lived through and were part of is is really remarkable. And Anne's afterlife isn't that exciting, but don't worry, because up next we have Catherine Howard, who is also known as Kitty. Yeah, Kitty. Kitty was beheaded privately, but she did practice on the block she would use for her own beheading, and after her death, her ladies moved her body to the same chapel on the tower grounds where Anne is buried, so St. Peter at Vincula. And we discussed already how the restoration of that chapel may have confused or moved her bones around or mixed her up with Anne. She has a tile marking her as queen like Anne did. They are right next to each other, as we said. Uh, and we'll share photos, of course. And she also had no funeral, but she because she was a traitor as well. But she does have one of the most disturbing ghost stories. Yes. So, the legend goes that when Kitty was arrested at Hampton Court Palace for adultery, she managed to briefly break free of her guards and she ran for the Chapel Royal because that's where she believed Henry was. And so she's sprinting down this hallway as fast as she can in her Tudor clothing and she's just screaming for the king because she really believed that if she could just see him she could change his mind and she probably could have he really ghosted all of like the moment he decided he was done yeah. with his wives he ghosted them and 
That was it. And so she never did. She never did see him again. She was caught and dragged back to her rooms, and she was kept there for a while before being moved to the tower. Today, this hallway at Hampton Court is known as the Haunted Gallery, and her ghost is often seen running and screaming down the hallway, desperate to reach the husband she would never once again see in life. People also report feeling cold spots and uncomfortable sensations in this area. And according to Hampton Court Palace's own website, on one day in 1999, during two separate tours, two female visitors fainted in exactly the same spot in the haunted gallery. Also, in October of 2003, the palace CCTV cameras, so they captured a video image of a ghostly figure that seems to be flinging open a pair of heavy fire doors. I think it happens three times that these doors open and then close, and then open and then close. And on one of these occasions, you can see it sort of looks, I think a lot of people refer it to it as Skeletor, which you can understand when you look at it. It's definitely creepy. It looks like a skeleton in a cloak like a skeleton in a hooded robe. It's very creepy. And no one has ever come forward to say, yes, this was a prank that we did. Security staff at the palace seem really baffled by any kind of rational explanation for what it could be. We're going to share the YouTube link to the security footage. Did you see, did you watch the security footage? Yes, several times. What do you think? It looks like a person. I think it's a prank. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how would they know for sure that there was no staff member doing this? Well, they don't. They yeah. don't. It's entirely possible that it's a prank. But they say that it's not anybody but security and that it's not an area that's, like, accessible by the public. I still can't believe I've never been to Hampton Court. It's going... Right up on the top of the list. What I find interesting about the video, because I watched it as I said, several times, that it appears when the door first opens that the figure is not even close enough yet to open the door. Like, it just flung open by force. Yes. So the, when the doors first open, they're, it looks like they're flown open by an unseen force, yeah. right? Because you can see, you'll see when we share. But I can't figure out, if it's a prank, they did a really good job. I'll put it that way. It's... It's a little bit creepy, I, I think. And it's, it's a nice ghost. I mean, sh- they closed the door again. So. They did. They just wanted to keep those doors shut. <laughs> keep everything safe. I don't know. I just, yeah. I know that Catherine Howard is often portrayed as this wild child who got caught, but I think that we believe it's also possible she was an abused child taking advantage of at sort of every opportunity. It's She's a hard one. I think the way she was portrayed was rather unfair, and I'm glad that slowly starts to change. I think actually most of the wives were portrayed unfairly. Like I have the feeling that uh, Jane is often perceived as being this like glowing, serene person and, and lovely, because she gave the king an heir, and he loved her so much for that. And you know how mm-hmm. history is made, and that's what they said about her, so that's what has been said about her for centuries, and we just continue repeating this over and over again, right? Right, right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. She's often seen as almost being sweet and simple, Jane, but she wasn't. All of his wives were brilliant in their own right. You know, I really think. You had to be. Yeah. To handle the madness of the time. Finally, the last wife, Catherine Parr. She outlived Henry and, as we said in the two-parter on their lives, hers was the first Protestant funeral of a royal in England. Her husband didn't stay for it and she was, it seems, forgotten for a time. But her body was not allowed to rest in peace. The following is from an article by Alison Weir for uh, Historia magazine about the latest biography of Catherine, which has just come out this month. So Weir writes, quote, After Catherine Parr, Henry VIII's sixth wife, died in childbed in 1548, a beautiful tomb was raised to her memory on the north side of the chapel at Sudley Castle. It bore an alabaster effigy of the queen and around the base was chiseled a Latin epitaph composed by her chaplain, John Parkhurst. Within a hundred years of Catherine's death, the chapel fell into decay when in 1642, during the Civil War, Sudley Castle was besieged. Roundhead soldiers desecrated the chapel, digging up graves and smashing monuments, including Catherine's, whose body was probably interred in the earth beneath where it had stood. 
after the Civil War, Parliament ordered that Sudley Castle be slighted, rendering it uninhabitable. The chapel roof was demolished and the building was left to mercies of nature. For the next two centuries, Sudley lay derelict and Catherine's burial place was forgotten. With the flowering of the Romantic movement, the ruins attracted visitors. In 1782, some ladies traveled to Sudley in search of the tomb of Catherine Parr, surmising that a large block of alabaster in the north wall of the chapel was part of a monument. They enlisted local men to dig below it. At a depth of two feet, Catherine's leaden coffin was found, identifiable by its inscription. The coffin was opened. When the seer cloths covering the face were cut away, the queen's features, particularly the open eyes, remained in a perfect state of preservation for a few moments until exposure to the air brought on the process of decay. The corpse began to turn color and the eyes dimmed. Alarmed, the ladies ordered that earth be thrown over the coffin. That same year, a curious tenant farmer pulled up the top of the coffin and saw the body wrapped in seer Cloth. He made an incision and uncovered one of the arms, the flesh of which was white and moist. Yeah. So seer cloth, I think, is like wax cloth. It's mm. like a waxy cloth, which is what they use to wrap her in. And this is part of the whole uncorruptible. She's she has a bit of that uncorruptibility that you see sometimes. Yeah. So for a long time, it seemed like I don't know how much of it is true, but here we are. Sorry. Please continue. He also cut off a few locks of hair. In 1783, Mr. Brooks, steward to Lord Rivers, then owner of Sudley, directed that the grave be opened again to satisfy his curiosity, but found that the body had grown fetid. It was uncovered again in 1784, when an old woman recorded that it was wearing not a shroud, but costly burial cloth. Shoes were on the feet, which were very small, while all the queen's proportions were quote, extremely delicate, end quote, traces of beauty were still perceptible in her features and her long hair was of burnished gold. How is all that still there after more than 200 years? With the coffin being opened several times. I know. But through exposure to the air and injurious treatment, the process of decay was rapid. The vicar insisted that the body be reinterred, but the coffin was not sealed properly. In 1786, the Reverend Treadway Nash examined the chapel with two antiquarians. Having opened the ground and torn away the lead, they found Catherine's face totally decayed and her teeth fallen from their sockets. They thought it indecent to uncover the body, so unwrapped only one brownish hand. Nash made a sketch of the remains. He lamented that more respect had not been paid to the remains of the queen and noted that the chapel was used for the keeping of rabbits who scratched very irreverently about the royal corpse, end quote. Six years later, some rude persons again opened the grave, took out the body and played and allegedly danced with it, before leaving it exposed on a heap of rubbish where it remained until the vicar had it reburied. But someone was seen snooping around the grave, so the tenant farmer had a deeper one dug in the chapel. Then he invited his neighbors to a dinner, after which the body was reinterred. Unfortunately, the men were drunk and abused the corpse, pulled off its hair, knocking out the teeth, cutting off the head with a spade, <sighs> wrenching off the arms and stabbing an iron bar several times through the torso. They were so inebriated that they buried the coffin upside down. It's a lot. When in 1817... The chapel was repaired, Catherine's coffin was found bottom upwards in the wall filled with ivy roots. By now, the body had been reduced to a confused heap of bones and a small quantity of hair. They were placed in the newly discovered stone walls that contained the remains of Lord Chandos, who had died in 1654. But in 1828, a Mr. Lawson visited the chapel and reported that Queen Catherine's remains had not been reburied with the honor and historical respect due to her, for the vault lay in a lean-to building outside the north wall of the chapel. When wealthy Wooster glove makers John and William Dent purchased Sudley in 1837, they discovered the church to be ruinous and overgrown with ivy, with trees sprouting from its walls. That sounds like my barn. They proceeded forthwith <laughs> to carry out an extensive restoration program. In 1854 to 63, the chapel was restored under the direction of Sir George Gilbert Scott. In 1861, the remains of Queen Catherine were collected, quote, with pious care, end quote, although by then they had been reduced to just, quote, a little brown dust, end quote. The coffin was moved into the church and laid in a spacious vault to the left of the chancel window. Sir George Gilbert Scott designed a fine new gothic canopy tomb in the medieval style on which were carved the arms of Catherine's four husbands. 
The tomb was based on a woodcut of the original monument preserved in an old book, the Seven Lamps of Virginity, and on a pattern of a fragment of masonry found in the wall near the Queen's grave. John Burney Philip, who worked on the Albert Memorial, made a life-size marble effigy designed by Scott and supposedly based on portraits, although it bears no resemblance to those that have since been authenticated. It was laid on the finished monument in 1863. On a pillar next to the tomb, a plate is now affixed, on which there is an engraved facsimile of the inscription upon the leaden coffin in which the remains of Queen Catherine Parr were originally found. This is the tomb we see today, along with some vivid Victorian stained glass windows depicting Catherine Parr with her last two husbands, Henry VIII and Thomas Seymour. It is a fitting memorial to this most charming of queens. End quote. That's a long quote, but... That whole article, I love Alison Weir just because she's so easy to read. Like, if you're interested in history, but find a lot of history books to be tough reading, I would recommend Alison Weir. But that's how I saw her tomb at Sudley. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's really beautiful. And there's a great museum. That's where I took a photo of lace that Anne made that I had shared when we covered The Six Wives. Also, Catherine's lock of hair and a tooth are on display there from one of those from one of those bed a lot was done to that poor woman's body after death it's a lot yeah so Catherine's ghost has been spotted regularly at two locations the first is of course at Sudley where she's been seen on a number of occasions by a number of people. She's also seen, I didn't even know this was a place, Johanna, Snape Castle in Yorkshire. That's where she lived with her late husband, a marriage before she married Henry. And there, there is a woman, a young woman with golden hair and a blue Tudor style dress, often seen walking to the chapel. That's at Snape Castle. And again, that takes us right back to, okay, so there's a young woman in a blue Tudor style dress with golden hair. Like, yeah. Does it have to be Catherine? Is she the only one we know of at Snape Castle? I'm also not sure about Sudley being haunted, only because I will say they have a real possibility of just seeing someone in Tudor dress and not realizing it's a real person. To be fair, the box of clothes, there's, they have like an area because it's a museum where you can try on boxes of clothes. I have a really adorable photograph of my nephew dressed up like Henry VIII, which I won't share because he's like three and would be mortified. Well, he's three in the photo. He's a grown ass adult now. But also, you know, her last two husbands were arguably real assholes. I mean, Henry VIII and Seymour, that's a whole other episode that we will probably never do. But she didn't deserve the treatment that she had in life, right? Yeah. For some reason, what happened to her bones, though, very macabre and fascinating. I think we've got an episode planned at some point for people whose graves were just disturbingly Mm. disturbed. It's upsetting, but it's also, I guess, once your body, once you die, your body's just the vessel you were in. Do you care that way? Would you care about your own bones the way we care about the bones of people we love? Do you, does that make sense? Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, yes, it's a vessel and you can feel no pain anymore and you're in this. Yeah supposedly loving place, you know, surrounded by positive feelings. But also there are people who believe that uh, if you go to visit your loved one's graves, which I do very often, for example, yeah. there are some who believe if whenever you go there, the, the soul or the spirit or the energy of the dead ones are there with you. Like they are not always there, but if you go there, they are around. You know what I mean? I do. I do. And now imagine witnessing... This to be done to your remain, remains, I mean, that must be still, I mean, even if you feel no pain, it must be sad. It must make you just sad, yeah. right? It's sad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No matter what. No, I guess that's true. I, maybe I feel differently because my body is already so broken. I probably have a very unhealthy amount of self-loathing just in the sense that there's like nothing on me that doesn't, that works properly anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd care about my own body. But I don't think it's about the body. It's about somebody being so horrible to your remains. Like, who, who yeah. deserves that? Nobody. No, no. Oh, absolutely. No, nobody deserves that. It's interesting what a different take people used to have on death, though, isn't it? Because the whole part about how this lord, Im- or I don't know if he was a lord, but this wealthy person invited everybody over to dinner. Yeah. And they all got loaded and damaged the corpse in this way. 
I mean, it's like what they did with the mummies. Exactly. It exactly was reminding yeah. me of the mummy unwrapping parties and how there was a lot of grave desecration in mm. the, you know, especially 16, for people who 17. were so extremely religious. I mean, yes, that's the thing that it's such a strange dichotomy, right? That on the one hand, you've got all of these people fighting religious wars that were both Christian, but just different, you know, a lot of this was Catholic versus Protestant. So either way, you know, your body after death is important. And yet they have absolutely, it's just so surprising to me, I guess, you know? So, yes, just to be clear, grave desecration is bad. Yeah. Don't desecrate graves of any please kind, don't. please. Ever. Yeah. Let's talk about something good now. That yeah, was, please. That last one was pretty sad. But I do recommend going to Sudley. It was beautiful. They have a beautiful koi pond. The museum is good. The gardens are absolutely stunning. Those Victorian stained glass windows are amazing. It's a really beautiful little chapel. It was a day trip from Worcester. So if you're in the West Midlands, that's all I have to offer. All right. God, I miss my family. I know somebody once said that I sound like I'm bragging because I go to Europe so much. But you do realize my family are there, right? Like... <laughs> I'm going to visit my family, who I miss very much. All right. Something good. What's good? Do you have anything good? Yeah, Pete O'Toole, because we, <laughs> I just remembered High Spirits <laughs> before, and it's a hilarious movie. It is. And I love Pete O'Toole. I love him in The Last Emperor, which, you know, I'm obsessed with. Yes. The whole Puyi story. Lawrence of Arabia. I've seen that Go many watch times. more. Peter O'Toole movies, please. He deserves yes. it. Yes. That's my something good. <laughs> Mine's very shallow now, but I just had my first pedicure in a year and a half. I think everybody can breathe a sigh of relief knowing that's happened now because I really struggle to do my own between like my vision problems. Can you imagine hmm. me trying to paint my toenails? <laughs> I, I don't even feet. want to imagine you're cutting it properly. No, I've just cutting been I've off. just been slowly filing my toenails like yeah. a weirdo, trying to keep them <laughs> from getting like because I can't see anything. And I, I can't so bend picture over. you. I so picture you like Howard Hughes <laughs> in a huge white nightgown with long <laughs> nails and white hair, lying in bed. That's accurate. That's a fair. <laughs> that's that's a fair way to imagine me. So. I got my nails done. My mother's funeral is tomorrow, so... Well, yesterday as you're hearing this. So I think I'm going to have to wear open-toed shoes with the dress that I'm wearing, which is fine. It's going to be very hot, and it's going to be a full Catholic mass. So I've been so worried about, you know, what I'm going to wear, and am I going to look all right, and is this going to be it's fine? Stop worrying. My mother would be the first one to say, stop worrying so much about it. You look great, you know? So it's like, mm. just let it go. On a happier note, today is the one-year anniversary of our Gotcha Day with Opus Bopus. I can't believe it's been a year. We've had him for a year. Do you remember when I was like, I'm getting this dog. I think it's going to help me stop crying. Yeah, I remember when you told me I might have just put down. <laughs> I put down a deposit without telling Paul. Yeah. And I'm like, you did what? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. My mom had died, well, it's funny, my mom died March 25th of 2020, and I just could not stop crying. I just could not stop crying. So I was like, I'm just going to get a puppy. That'll fix it. Um, it did not. It did not. As it turns out, listen. Newsflash. Newsflash. I was still very, very sad and depressed, but then also with a puppy. So yes, it does make life better. You're just... But also, it doesn't cure things. You'll just be sad with a puppy. But yeah. he's such a good boy, and he's been doing his service dog training, and he's doing such a good job. It's like when you put on his vest, because when he wears the vest, his service dog vest, he's not allowed to be petted by anybody or interact with the public. Like, they know, you know. And then you take that off of him, and it's like he knows that then he's allowed to go over and get petted by people and get the snugs and... He's a smart boy. He's learning. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And also, if you haven't listened to it yet, go back to our Six Wives of Henry VIII two-parter. If you have a minute or two and you do like our content, please do us the huge favor. Go to iTunes. And it's only iTunes nowadays. I think it used to be able on Stitcher as well to leave us a rating or a review. 
Yeah, Amazon or Audible maybe as well, but again, it's all about iTunes. iTunes yeah. kind of decides all the things. They rule everything. They do. Uh, yeah. Also, you can visit our website, which is freshhellpodcast.com, and that's where you'll find links on how to get in touch with us, where you can listen to us, and how to join our Patreon. We just did a makeup video, which was... something. <laughs> well, we have to say it was not a makeup tutorial. We did. We tried to follow a makeup we tutorial. We tried to follow <laughs> a makeup tutorial. Yep. That was something. So <laughs> it was fun, though. My dad liked it, which my dad doesn't really give fake compliments. So that's nice. He thought it was funny. So come say hi. Also in our Facebook group, please come say hello and tell us about... Oh, also on our website, you'll find how to, how to email us and how to buy merch Right? And we would love to hear if you've ever had a personal experience with any of Henry's wives or Henry himself. Yes. We would love, love, love to hear it. Keep all the weird stories coming in. We really love our listener story episodes because we talk about ourselves so much. We want to hear more about you. So keep sending them in. And what else am I forgetting? Please tell your pets. We said hi. Hug them, hold them, cuddle them, be kind to them, but also don't forget your fellow human beings. Give them the benefit of a doubt, as we yes. established a couple of episodes ago. Oh, and congratulations, Italy. I just watched my very first Eurovision Song Contest with our Facebook group. <laughs> I was laughing so much of your uh, when I saw your comments. Is this normal? Is the, is the voting glitching? What's going on? I don't know what's <laughs> happening. And I was like, I didn't even watch it this year, but I've been watching since I was a child. And okay. yes... It's it's normal. It, it it's is great. what it is. <laughs> I think I think I've actually slowly turned Paul into a convert. Like he was getting into it by the end, so that was awesome. Yeah. Thanks everyone so much for your support. We really really do appreciate it. And if you like me are having a just a kind of a hard year. If you're going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye. Bye.